Hello all and welcome to the show. If you like stories of psychic queens, city-melting sci-fi, mythological mayhem, and crime thrillers, then please consider listening and subscribing. There's a new episode out every other week. This story is called American Dogwood, The Virginia Killer. And I just want to issue a content warning. It has scenes of murder and crime scene investigation, as well as other adult themes, so it might not be suitable for children. And with that out of the way, let's get to the show. Nine years ago, Detective Amory lost his only daughter. She disappeared one summer day, one terrible blue-skyed day. He's managed to keep his world from unraveling, but only just, for a new hot summer brings the body of a girl hanging in midair, and his past is opened like a wound unhealed. As more bodies turn up in frightful scenes, it's a race against the collective sanity of the state of Virginia and the innocent lives of multiple young women. It's a race against time no one has. The serial killer is like a ghost, a supernatural force that no one can contend with, but Detective Amory must. He must save them, like he couldn't save his daughter. He watches them. Under the swaying leaves of a broad maple they sit, plucking dandelions from the grass, the noon sun fighting with the shade, seeking entrance to summer sanctuary. The killer is buzzing with nervous excitement. His plan has started. The world doesn't know it yet, but they will. They will see what he sees. They will dream what he dreams. He approaches the girls under the shade, a handful of flowers clutched in his shaking hands. The continual and incessant vibrations woke Detective Amory. He sighed a Saturday sigh and checked his phone. Messages and voicemails crowded the screen. He opened the most recent one. It was from work. He tapped it and put it on speaker. Where the hell are you? Chief Wexler said gruffly. The boys found something off Highway 55, in the woods, a DB. Don't call me back, just get there now. Detective Amory ripped off his covers and shot out of bed. He threw on a suit and tie, then grabbed his gun and badge. He raced out of the kitchen, knocking a stacked pile of mail over as he went. In the garage was his unmarked police car. He skirted around the various containers of memories now gathering dust. The painting his ex-wife did of their family. The pink tricycle with its shimmering blue ribbons. A memories museum that was close at hand if he needed to remember. His friends had always said it wasn't right to keep the past so near to him. It was like a perpetual open wound. But these things, these mementos deserved better than a corner in some musty attic or some basement graveyard. No, he wanted to be reminded of them every time he left his house. His daughter would have been 14 now. She would have been texting boys and trying to stay up later than her curfew. Now she texts no one. Now her only job is to be a ghost, haunting the holes in Amory's heart. She was taken from him. She had disappeared on his graduation day from the academy. The babysitter had brought his little five-year-old to the park, and her negligence played through. The fallout was worse than nuclear. No scans yielded anything, no trails led anywhere. It was as if she had become like smoke, like mist. All of it was a surreal nightmare, a monster under the bed that actually existed. 
Then, after months of trying to make things work, after so long spent in grief counseling, he left his prospects with the FBI and moved deeper into Virginia's state country. All the dreams of Quantico and jaunts over to D.C. evaporated. His future, which had been sprawled out before him, was now gone, turned to dust. His wife followed him to the country, but that summer was the cruelest thing in existence. Every time the sun shined, his wife cried and his heart broke. She left six months later. Amory understood. It was as if the universe had cracked open and nothing but this noxious perfume of loss leaked out. For losing their daughter had changed everything. But Amory wasn't going to let it stop him from doing his job. So he threw his head into the headspace of his work, gluing society back together amidst the homicides, missing persons, and petty misdemeanors passed off as high crimes. If he could stop one argument here, rescue one child from abusive parents there, hit pause on some future destruction, then he felt good again, felt as if the world were not unraveling. It was the one philosophical theory he bought into, that time was measured in human freedom. Each behavior and action caused a ripple in the waters of the future. Inevitability was the confluence of our natures. If he could get in there and disrupt or course-correct an evil done to someone before it bloomed into a shotgun wound, or a little girl who'd grow up to hate the world, then he felt as if he was doing his daughter justice. It was funny. He kept her tricycle and her finger paintings, but he could never say her name out loud. Never. Even to think it gave him the beginnings of a headache, a blinding pain that started somewhere in his midbrain before pressure building behind his eyes. But as he jumped in his car, the thin wisps of her name smoked in his mind. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Amory tore down the streets, his Dodge Charger revving to the sound of something a little too late. A DB. That's what the chief had said. A dead body out near the forests. Out in the sticks. A disposal, most likely. Some cheated-on lover out for vengeance, or a drug deal gone wrong. Amory steeled himself for another one. Fifteen years on the job and it never got easier. He talked with the old war horses, and they told him the same thing. The stuff you see never leaves. It just thickens and mixes till your outlook turns to concrete. Only at the end does an old cop start to chip and flake and lose all sense of surety. Right and wrong, wrong and right, society is a mashup of people stuck in time together, prisoners of circumstance. It's no wonder we all don't get along, Amory thought. He was 40 now, but he felt much older. He hoped he'd never start to chip and flake like old cement. The buildings became more like trees until he was surrounded by trees. He whipped down a frontage road that would run into the old highway. He was going 70 miles per hour, the GPS taking him to some final destruction of human nature. Sweat began to bead around his collar. It was July in Virginia, and a little too humid for this work. But it looks like someone found it just the right temperature for murder. Gravel crunched under his tires as Amory's car pulled off the road. He couldn't see anything from this vantage, only trees sick with oak rot, a blight on pristine Virginia Commonwealth. He adjusted his dirty tie and wiped his forehead, then got out of the car. He was immediately hit with the droning resonance of cicadas in the tall grass. He stepped into the knee-high yellow grass and watched them skitter, 
flashing black wings in the high noon sun. Once into the tree line, he heard the unmistakable barking of dogs, German shepherds. They were absolutely going off on something. Amory hurried faster, apprehension bringing a knot in his chest, a tightness of unreal expectation. He knew he would see something horrible. But what he saw when he stepped into a large forest clearing was so far beyond his wildest 3 a.m. wake-ups. Two cops stood about 30 yards back watching a lone tree, a giant and ancient oak. They wouldn't go any closer. One officer held the leash of the police dogs, the barking German shepherds. They strained and pulled and whined and drooled. The officer holding them was sweating something fierce. The other, who Amory recognized as Officer Martinez by the shape of his head, stood right by him. What the animals were losing their minds over, what the officers were staring at, was a girl hanging from one of the thick lower branches of the oak tree. Amory could tell it was a girl, for a mess of long brown hair tumbled over the side of the head, which was lolled to the left. Her naked body was pink and raw, indelibly sunburned. She couldn't have been dead for less than an hour. The killer must still be close by. The whole sight was indeed the hot breath of a nightmare. But what was so terrifying, what was so consciousness-searing, was that she was not hanging as from a noose, but more like a puppet. Except her body didn't sway in the breeze. Amory yelled and ran to the unseen officers. Hey! The one holding the dogs turned. Detective Amory, thank God, we got a situation. I see that. What are you two doing? The killer might still be near. Call in and set up a ten-mile perimeter with traffic stops and license checks. And let's get the chopper out here, do a grid search. Who found the body? Did any of you go near her? Amory's words tumbled out in less than a breath. He could barely think over the barking dogs. Uh, Martinez got a text from an unknown number while we were on patrol, saying to come to these exact coordinates, and we'd find the future. Future? What does that mean? I don't know, sir, but I went to check the area, see if she was dead, and... And what? Uh, the man was white as a ghost. Officer Jensen, is it? The man nodded, his forearm muscles bulging, holding the canines in place. Tell me what happened when you arrived on scene. Oh, I went over thinking it could be an attempted suicide, and if the girl needed help. But I saw that she was dead, eyes open, and that she was frozen. Frozen? What do you mean, frozen? Amory was getting frustrated by the lack of hard evidence and the meandering statements of the frightened officer. Jensen and Martinez were on the canine unit. They've seen some things. There was no excuse for this equivocation. I don't know, sir. The girl was not moving, not hanging by anything I could see. She was frozen in midair. I didn't touch her. I felt this kind of charge building. It smelled like a storm just rolled through. It smelled like chlorine, sir. I ran back here, and we called the chief. Amory could feel his heart speeding, his mind turning over the details faster than any computer. He threw on some latex gloves and started to walk through the tall, knotted grass to the tree where the dead girl hung with arms pinned spread eagle. Jensen had to be mistaken. She looked like she was strung up by some kind of wire. Call in that chopper, and Martinez, give me your phone. That's evidence now. Detective Amory closed the gap to the massive oak, its branches thrown wide under the blue summer sky. 
He got closer when suddenly a new smell hit him in such a powerful wave his nose scrunched and his eyes teared. It wasn't the smell of putrefaction or death, but indeed the smell of a thunderstorm, of lightning. He looked down and noticed the hair on his arms standing on end. He got close enough and saw the fine white hairs on the arms of the dead girl standing on end, too. Five yards away now, and an immediate headache rolled in behind his eyes. His breath came in three round bursts. This crime scene was obviously dangerous, but he needed to know, who was this girl? He got closer and the droning cicadas stopped. The hissing grasshoppers stopped. The wind even stopped. He could see the girl's head turned. Her blue eyes were clouded as if blind. Her matted brown hair thick with leaves and old sweat. She gazed at nothing. And more importantly, she hung from nothing. There were no ropes or lines or wires. She hung as if levitated by some unreal force. Some unreal malice. She looked to be about twenty, but Amory could barely even see any more. A stabbing pain was assaulting behind his eyes. He moved next to her bare feet, where the skin was blue, pooling blood and blown capillaries all down her lower legs and feet. He reached out to touch her when the dog stopped barking and began to whine. Detective Amory! Detective Amory! Martinez screamed out, but Amory couldn't help it. He touched her right below the ankle, and three things happened one right after the other. The smell disappeared instantly, the girl dropped with a thud right in front of him, and the dogs barreled past running into the woods, away from the scene. Amory looked down at the heap of a human and turned to the other officers. Get everybody out here now! Helicopter blades sliced through the air. Police fanned out. The dog still hadn't been found. The girl was being processed. Detective Amory wiped the sweat from his brow about 20 yards back from the crime scene. The oak leaves were now rustling in the wind. It was a hot wind, cruel, bringing the very idea of more death with it. Amory got ready for the canvas. It was hunting season. Roseblood knelt by her bed in her little hideaway room. It was brightly colored, a multifoliate design. Stenciled autumn leaves patterned the walls. The bed, a light sunset pink with many pillows. The room was just the right kind of cozy, with bookshelves, an electric piano, and soft lighting. No windows. She folded her hands as if in prayer. She was quiet like he told her to be. The barking of distant dogs could be heard. She wished they would stop. Wished everything would stop and he would come back. She let the memory of yesterday enfold inside her mind. It calmed her. He had lifted the trapdoor under the mounted head of a long-lashed deer. He had come bearing gifts. As soon as she heard the creak, her heart leapt. Then his boots appeared on the steps to her secret room, and Roseblood sat up and smoothed out the folds of her white dress. She sat on her bed with a beaming smile. Then he appeared, also wearing a grin, and holding two of her absolute favorite things. She couldn't control herself and jumped up. She ran to him. Oh, you brought another. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, she exclaimed. He handed her a new book and a big heavenly white flower. She gingerly took the bloom of the dogwood tree and felt the soft petals caress her sweaty palm. 
She turned and set them both gently on the bed, one on top of the other. Those are the last of the spring blooms, he said. Use it well. She could hardly contain her excitement. She looked over his face still wearing the same grin. His gray eyes looked as knowing as ever, if a little tired. His black hair was a bit disheveled, and his Carhartt jacket had a few stains of dark red on it. I will, she whispered before she ran to him for the second time and threw her arms around his torso. He held her tightly and smoothed her long brown hair. My little drop of rose blood. I'll miss you when I'm gone. They broke apart. I'll always miss you, she said back. I have to go. Have to take care of something important. I... His voice cracked. I want you to know I care for you very much, and we'll see each other real soon. Another one has left this lowly plain for paradise. I must make sure her journey is comfortable. Roseblood nodded her head in understanding. He continued, But you'll need to be very quiet. Don't make a sound. They will be out searching for me. He put a finger to his lips. His gray eyes gleamed with the same sanctity of knowledge, and her heart grew for him until he turned and walked back up the stairs. And the closing creak made her heart drop. He was gone. She breathed deep as each anxious moment bled into the next. Yesterday was a great day, but now everything was frightening. Helicopters were close by. She could tell that violent sound apart from the occasional jet planes that flew over her room. It was a ripping, tearing sound. The most heinous sound in existence. Like defiling a book by ripping a page out. Stealing knowledge meant for others. She put her head down on her blanket and tried to block out every sense, but it was no use. The ignorant men were out there looking for him. They would tear apart the whole world, burn down every forest, once they knew what he was bringing them. Emancipation. Detective Amory followed another investigator through the woods. He kept his head on a swivel, looking for footprints, a blood trail, for any signs of a mistake. It was unlikely that the killer was still this close by, but perhaps he had left something, some scrap of evidence. The dogs ran into the woods before the girl dropped, and that was something. Amory felt it intuitively. A burst of blue jay calls rang out. The birds had seen them and were alerting every creature in the forest to their presence. Amory felt the air get thicker as they walked. He felt as if time were slowing. The creaking of short leaf and pitch pines broke the surface tension of his senses. The wind was up. A storm was coming. Just then, the investigator at his front motioned ahead and reached a hand for his gun. A hundred paces away was a dilapidated hunting cabin. Its ceiling was blanketed in moss and pine needles. But it looked big enough for a whole hunting party to shelter in. One time before nature began its slow reclamation. They stalked silently over to its side, handguns unholstered. Amory's heart bumped as they turned the corner and saw two blue 55-gallon barrels stashed up against the front wall. There were no pine needles covering these. They were moved here recently. Someone had needed a lot of water. He whispered to the other officer, Get your gun out. We're going in. There was no need for a warrant of a primitive hunting cabin, as it was not considered a dwelling and Amory would have gone in anyways. 
He didn't have time to wait for their 80-year-old DA to get off his butt and get a search warrant. He felt a presence. Something or someone with a mind for death had been here. Amory tried the lock. It twisted, and the rotting door creaked open to a darkened hovel. The room was musty and filled with furniture and various trappings of old human habitation. Raccoons had made a nest in the sofa to his right, and to the left was a refrigerator out of last century. He kept his eyes peeled and scrunched his nose. A hall ran down from the main room. It looked to have an offshoot bedroom or bathroom on the right, for a spear of light shone through an open doorframe. Amory walked to it, his blood pulsing. He took lead and extended his arm, his gun held out, ready to fire. Something deep within told him that someone was in that room, something deeper than he could fathom. He took a few slow breaths and rounded the corner expecting to see the frame or shadow of a human, but all he saw was another dilapidated room with a dirty window. A bed was pushed up to the right with a shredded sleeping bag covering the top of it. The paneled walls were molding, and in the corner was the head of a deer mounted on the wall. Its black eyes stared at him. They were quiet now in death. They were sad in a way Amory could not fathom. He turned to leave when something caught his eye. Something lying on the windowsill. He moved towards it while the other investigator entered behind. What is it? It's a bird's nest, Amory whispered. He reached to grab it and something sharp tugged at him. The feeling. It was like something from a half-remembered dream. He looked more closely at the nest and saw it was woven with twigs and dead grasses, but also hair, long brown hair. Hand me an evidence bag. We'll send this off and see if it's a match for the floating girl. The two officers left the room, unaware that their bootfalls were causing the other young girl to shake in fear below. I just want to say thank you to anyone listening. I hope you enjoyed it. This is a brand new podcast, and I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review or tell your friends about it. The show was produced and written by me, James Anthony. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and have a legendary day.